Good morning. How are you all doing? <laughs> How is everyone in this wild and relentless time? Um, because we're broadcasting from here, I, I can only see one person and then I'm just scrolling to see you all for a minute. It's good to see your faces and your names. Um, I think I think I recognize everyone, but just in case I don't, um, my name is Sarah Dojin. I use the pronouns she and her. And this is an, uh, this is our Sunday morning Stone Creek Dharma talk. And I am grateful that uh, together and be in Sangha, the support of that. And to begin, I'd like to I'd like to start with a meditation, actually, and um, if it works for you, of it what you will. Um, what I'd like to ask us to do, because I think and I think this has become my habit now on Zoom, is to just come into our physical bodies and and if it helps to disconnect from the the visual field, you can close your eyes um, just to really make sure that we're locating ourselves in our physical human form. And just uh, take a few breaths and see who's there and what's there and how is it there in our body? What's alive for us there? We can kind of, um, the earth element is in Buddhism, there's a teaching that the, the earth element is one of the elements that comprises our body along with wind and fire and water. So we can feel that earth, like we can touch the actual earth element in our own body, which is our solidity and our, uh, the weight of our body, the stability of our body, the components of the earth that we feel in our own being, gravity, strength, uprightness, and stability. And for a few breaths, let's just exist. Let's let, let's let identities and politics and thoughts, really compelling ideas, just see if you can have a feeling of them shedding off of the stability that is who you are innately and just exist. And, I, and if you can, I, if you feel, if this is a feeling you can generate right now, I recommend that um, you weave this into your days, just appreciating your own existence. And from this place, we can, let's, we can feel into the gift of our human life and our consciousness. We can actually experience um, as we sit here that we have this tremendous, in, in the universe, we are these tremendously unique, uh, we're, we're beings, but we're actually this tremendously unique events of consciousness and material coming together. Feel the, the preciousness and the tremendousness of that opportunity. 
in our tradition, we, we venerate the human condition because all the conditions for awakening are within us. We have both the capacity to feel pain, mainly, and discomfort and other things. And we have the capacity to reflect on them and know that we're feeling them. And these, these are the essential ingredients for awakening. So we can just find the sweetness in being aware, having a consciousness, having a human body. So we may just want to rest here. But if, if it's available, we can also open um, to the reality. No matter how accustomed we are to usually holding it far off, we can open to the reality that our life and our body is fleeting. We are made of mortal stuff. It is a condition of our preciousness, actually, that we are impermanent, that we will die. And that the time that we have to be in this state of, of awareness and consciousness matched with material reality is precious because it will not last. And see if we can feel into the truth. And we may just want to abide here. But another invitation I want to make is that if that we can tolerate that. Now we open our consciousness a little wider, past our body, like lift off a little bit from our embodied consciousness and have something that's more like a sky consciousness, vast. And then turn your attention and look at your particular human self from a distance, from that vast perspective. And the invitation is not to see, but to see if from that vantage point of this, a, a more a wider lens and a more vast view, see if you can feel the texture of all the currents that make this being that you are who and what you are. So this is, the particulars we're born into in our physical form, our families, social influences, cultural influences, religious influences, media, exposure, books we've read, thoughts we've had. This is us with a wide lens opening to the karma that creates us. See if you can have a feeling for that, uh, those, the, the vastness of those currents themselves, known and unknown. You don't have to name them. You can just kind of feel being is a coursing of karmic conditions. And maybe today we want to rest here. But if it's available to stay in that vast consciousness in a, in a wider view, See if you can add to your awareness how because of all, because of being in a physical body, because of karmic conditions, because of impermanence, there is the discomfort of, human, of a human existence. There is suffering. 
we can even, even if we're feeling joy and ease right now, we can just feel into the discomfort of its impermanence. And, and feel all of this as the ground of our consciousness. And then just for the last few moments, wherever we rested in that meditation, breathing in the discomfort, breathing in our suffering, personal, collective, global, Turn it in your heart and breathe out the Breathe out medicine. Let the sight of your body be a place for a few moments. Where the suffering of the world comes in and it turns and it is transmuted into medicine for this world. Don't grasp anything in. Don't identify with it. Just let it pivot and offer it out as the remedy. Thank you for coming along with me there. You can stay where you are if you like, or you can go into your a more known, I'm listening to a Dharma talk posture. <laughs> I wanted to offer that meditation because, um, because I, it, for me, this is, um, or this is one way that um, we can ground in the first two points of the Lojong training system, the training in, of training and compassion, which are vast, vast practices. The first is to ground in the preliminaries, to ground in consciousness and uh, daily attention to how human life is precious, to how death is certain, to how potent karma is, and to how uh, suffering is a, a inextricable reality from a human consciousness and to ground in meditation. That's the first point. The second point is to ground in balance between conventional and an absolute or ultimate reality. So to find the bodhicitta, the wisdom intention that lives in understanding that we are particular beings and we are within this vast network of our connectedness to all things. And I wanted to ground us there because I'd like to talk about point three today. And briefly, <laughs> because Dharma talks, you know, you're always running out of time. I just want to say <laughs> one of the things that teachers have to grapple with, <laughs> how to be concise in the vastness of everything. The point, point three of the Lojong training system, which I, the last couple of talks I've given have been on this. And I, and I think this is going to continue through the summer because uh, there's one of the slowest point that I won't even be able to get to today and I want to offer maybe next time. 
Um, the Lojong training system is comes from the Tibetan tradition and it's a, well actually, that's where it's most practiced. It comes before the Tibetan tradition or Tibetan Buddhism. But uh, it's, a, it's a, a series of training slogans that teach us how to do, how to, how to cultivate compassion. So the DNA that runs through the whole teaching is how to cultivate compassion in a world of suffering. And then within that, there's seven, seven points. And within that, in point three, the DNA that runs through these six slogans is how to cultivate patience, the paramita of kshanti. And um, what I want to say is, is if nothing else, because I'm going to get into the details of the slogans and that might get kind of distracting. <laughs> but if nothing else, what I'd like to offer is that patience in the Dharma realm is likely different than our conventional understanding of patience. It is an effortful engagement. It is not a passive acceptance, not a place of passivity. Patience in, in the Dharma realm is an act of virya, of effort. It's an it's a engagement that is uh, vigorous, not passive at all. That's one part. And the other thing I wanted to bring forth again in combination with that is um, an idea that brought up a few weeks ago when she gave her talk, which is that um, there are that the opposite, in some ways, the opposing, an opposing current to the streams of habituated activity or, or um, kind of normalized and um, unconscious karma. The energy that's different than that is the energy and the effort of vow and intention. So there's, we can, in any given moment, we can choose habit and perpetuate that's basically negative, not helpful karma. Or we can choose vow and intention. And that, 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 that's a, that, that in some ways, that's a divergence that happens moment after moment for us. But what I want to bring is that uh, the conditions that allow us to choose vow are that we create some spaciousness in every given moment. And that creating spaciousness is the effort of patience. Okay. <laughs> so that's it. If you get nothing else, that's the system I want to offer. Right here where we are, when we, uh, when we um, work on patience, we create spaciousness, we give ourselves the opportunity to either perpetuate the negative karma that has gotten us some, there's some positive karma, but you know, overwhelmingly unconscious karma that's gotten us to where we are, or we can choose the path of vow and intention. And it doesn't mean that with our good intentions and our good vows, we won't create more negative karma. I watch myself do this all the time. It just means that we're, we're moving in, it's, they're different directions and they create a different field of reality for ourselves and the world. Patience is a really challenging um, thing to cultivate, generally speaking, and certainly right now. There's like this, there's such an urgency right now. There's such a, we're at like a fever pitch 
outflows, and I would say in our in our country in particular, in the United States in particular, the outflows of all the conditions that have created this country are like accelerated into a frenzy <laughs> where there is an urgency for us to respond. And if we care about suffering, if we care about the Bodhisattva path, if we care about um, liberating the world, cir cir circuits of suffering, there is an urgency to wake up right now. That's always there, but it's, but it's really strong in all the conditions that are arising. So patience in some ways you feel like, you know what, that is not called for. <laughs> what? Why are we gonna be patient? And again, I wanna offer, patience is the, is the cultivation of spaciousness right here. It is, um, it, and it also, the way we can see if we're working with patients or not is, it is the patience, or, or is the creating the space to not be reactive, but to be skillfully responsive. So when we feel ourselves knee-jerk reacting, and I, I have been knee-jerk reacting left and right lately, I'm really, I don't know exactly what all the conditions are. So I'm not discluding myself. There's a lot, a lot of tension. Um, responding quickly and out of our habit energy is reactivity. This is at opening here. So, so now I'll give some particulars of point three and do with them what you will. It will be, uh, I will cover them too quickly and it will be um, maybe annoyingly short. And I, but I do want to, because I feel like we, the place we're in collectively and nationally and globally, we are in uncharted. And our tradition, meaning Buddhism, offers these tools. And th these are some of them. These slogans, I think, are actually brilliant tools that are very, um, they're like very finely tuned tools. So um, let's, I want to offer them into our field of, of shared um, existence this, this morning. So the first slogan in this one is turn all mishaps into the path. A mishap is anything that wasn't planned. It is possible that everything that's happening to us right now is a mishap <laughs> by this definition. Very few of us, I think, we're planning for the situation we're collectively in right now. Certainly there are moments in our day that like, okay, well, I went to the, I wanted store and I got there so that wasn't a mishap but there's so many mishaps that are happening right now so much that's unexpected and unplanned and what we do with a moment that we weren't expecting is we turn it into the, what it's suggesting is turn it into the we do that we are creating the spaciousness of that of the um, of that second daily contemplation which is things are impermanent we are opening to the impermanence of things like our expectations and our plans or the conditions that they're based on. So this is a really, uh, this is a useful and fine tool for a bodhisattva. Well, this thing wasn't what I planned. It's teaching me about reality. Thank you, Buddhas and bodhisattvas. The second slogan in the, the next two slogans in this section 
and I find uh, very dangerous and super problematic if people apprehend them and if they misapply them. And I want to say that, and I'm just going to probably keep repeating it because, um, and it's partly why I wanted us to do the grounding meditation in the beginning. So we're abiding in a field. We're abiding in the non-duality of the particular and the absolute. And now we hear these two slogans that are coming. The first one is drive all blames into one. Uh, the, really, the tradition is anything that you want to blame about, understand that you are actually responsible. And I'm hoping that you all could see why that's super problematic. <laughs> there is harmful action in this world. People perpetrate harmful action, which we are not responsible. When harmful action has been perpetrated against us, we are not responsible for that. So I want to be the discernment. I think that this that this um, slogan encourages, and the place where patience is really alive is we make room. So we we feel blame coming up in us. This is a like even if all that we do is we notice when we're in a blamey state. We are that's vigorous practice. Notice that we are blaming or that we want to blame, and we want to blame is always out there pointing outward. And um, understand that we have to make room there. And this is the reason this is a super vigorous practice is we are in a state of blame. We're usually in a really young part of ourselves. We're developmentally somewhere around three years old. So in, in psychological terms, like when, when in my psychology studies, we talk about people splitting when people are splitting, every, the whole world is, is right and wrong, and there's nothing in between. And um, blame is a splitting kind of where I'm right and they are wrong. And it's a hard place to bring our wisdom mind. We're usually too immature. But, but this slogan is saying, accompany those younger, accompany that tantruming little one <laughs> with the wise one in you and make some room and look with for where does the responsibility lie and when we're looking at instances of harm perpetrated we are really looking for the discernment between blame and accountability who's accountable for what's happening. Where's this coming from? We're rooting this in our Buddhist understanding that actually in, believing in separate individuals is a delusion. And still, and so this is where we get that balance of, of the absolute and the conventional. And still, if someone is perpetrating harm, they are responsible. That particular being is responsible. We can understand the conditions that might be made them do that or make us do that, I should say. So we don't, as bodhisattvas, we don't accept harm being perpetrated. We don't sit back and say, well, you know, the world, blah, 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 blah. I think that often lately I keep hearing people say something to the effect of when people see difference, they just get fearful and, and hateful. And I don't believe that. 
And maybe someday I'll get to do some studies and I can validate that. When people see difference, we see difference. And we in the United States have been taught to be hateful and fearful. We are still responsible for what we do from that place. So we are accompanying blame with wisdom and and we don't let it run amok. And this is any time that we're pointing out there. Watch for this, like in our Q and A. It often comes up. You know those bad guys over there. It's not that there aren't bad guys. It's aren't that there aren't people that are perpetrating harm. Some of them willfully and nefariously, and. We have to f- finally discern the difference between uh, our agency within that and our capacity within that and our responsibility within the situation and someone else's. And when someone else is willfully uh, perpetrating harm, we also need to understand that the most loving thing we can do in terms of the laws of karma is to hold them accountable and as soon as possible. That's a whole other topic, but maybe we'll come back to it. <laughs> but I just want to, I want to really, I really want to champion that idea. Holding people accountable as close to their perpetration of harm as possible, ourselves and others, is the most loving bodhisattvic thing. We, it it uh, reduces the harm and it reduces the karmic outflows. So the next problematic and potentially dangerous one is be grateful to everyone. Again, when people perpetrate harm, we are not grateful to them. We do not accept their actions. We do not condone them. We do not, um, we're not complicit in allowing them to continue. As bodhisattvas, we interrupt harm. And um, we, can, we can be grateful for what we learn in the circumstances. With, while we disagree with people's behavior, and our own, or even our own behavior, while we learn from our own confused behavior. And this is, this is the, the gratitude, this is the root of the gratitude in this slogan. Be grateful to everyone is, is we are rooting ourselves again in, in understanding karma. We are rooting ourselves in cause and effect. And anytime we can wake up to harm and how, it, and the, how it's happening, we can understand, we can, or we can, we can appreciate, wow, we're really lucky to be able to see that, to, to see that. And if we have a feeling like, oh, I did that myself, <laughs> we should be careful. The gratitude we're feeling is that myriad conditions have arise, arisen to support us to see how harm is being caused. We can be grateful for that support. We can be grateful for that, the liberation that's alive in that awakening. The next slogan, slogan 14, is see confusion as the, the bodies of Buddha. This, that word that's translated as confusion there can also be delusion. In some ways, this is just a, um, this is like a, a pause for non-duality. Remember that the body of Buddha, Buddha manifests in a field of delusion. But I feel like it's particularly um, relevant for us now where there is so much confusion. I'm talking to so many people and I so that confident in saying that it's probably a universal situation that we're all in right now to some extent on any given moment. There is so much uncertainty. 
you know, in our actions, in our, in our choices, I don't know how it is for all of you, but like, if you're going to, if you're, if you're coming into contact with other people, there's this huge complicated negotiation of everybody's different understandings of like how germs spread and what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And, and there's also this complicated, in our, our social fabric, there's this complicated negotiations of what terms we're supposed to use and not supposed to use and how we should show up and how we should step back and all of this. There's so much confusion. This is an encouragement to make space around confusion. And again, watch for the karmic reflex of habit energy. And for most of us, the karmic reflex is, I gotta figure this out. I gotta get an answer. And this, this slogan is encouraging us, don't go there yet. Remember like this is, this is part of the DNA here is patience. Don't move there yet. Stay right here in confusion. Feel what it feels like. Feel it fully. And then see if you can call forth some vow. Call forth help. Call forth intention and move forward. But don't think that confusion is a place to get away from. And I think that that's often our, it's often our human reflex. Certainly as adults, you know, we're not supposed to be confused. As parents, we're not supposed to be confused. As teachers, as professionals, we're not supposed to. We're supposed to know everything. <laughs> and this slogan is saying there is value for bodhisattvas in abiding in the discomfort of uncertainty. Stay there, feel it all the way down to the bottom. Make room for it and now move forward in your activity. You know, right, right there at the bottom of the pain of the discomfort. What request is vow making of you in how in the next thought that you have or the next word that you say or the next action that you take? And there's two more slogans. So the, the um, next one is the one that <clears throat> I think I just need to like dedicate a whole other talk to. <laughs> but I'll mention it and I'll drop it into our our pot this morning. Slogan 15 is the four practices are the best of methods. And Norman Fisher in his book about the, the Lojong training system, there's this differently. He renders it, do good, avoid evil, appreciate your lunacy and pray for help. <laughs> That's how he calls the four, the, the traditional four practices. The four practices are Beneficial action, or uh, traditionally it's actually the accumulation of merit, but it's beneficial action, action where we're like generating good karma, avoiding harm or evil, making, uh, so that's avoid evil. Appreciate your lunacy, what Norman calls that, is making offerings or take good care of hungry ghosts or demons. So this one is beautiful, I think. This is asking us to hungry ghosts. You could you can get very materialistic about it if when it need when we need to be we can get we can solidify this metaphor and understand hungry ghosts as spirits external to us who are in the world and um, insatiable and craving and needing comfort and needing the balm and the sweet dew of the dharma. 
And it's also good to understand that that metaphor applies internally. There are ones within us, there are beings within us who are endlessly insatiable. They cannot be, their, their hunger can never be satisfied. They are, um, the hungry ghosts have these huge bellies and tiny throats and everything they eat burns unless we give them the sweet nectar. So these are the, the ones within us that wow. The ones within ourselves, that we, the parts of us, you know, the world <laughs> could easily be a hungry ghost who just wants to like satisfy the craving to make whatever's happening somebody else's problem. That's a hungry ghost. We make offerings to her. We feed him. We nourish that one. We bring them into the light of the and our awareness. And the last of the four offerings that, that Norman renders pray for help is uh, traditionally make offerings to Apollos, make offerings to the beings who have protected the Dharma, the guardians of the Dharma. And what I just briefly want to say about that for this morning is we um, we're making again, like, so we could do that externally. We really can, we can, we can make, uh, altars of our ancestors and, and venerate them and appreciate what all the benefit we've been given. We can also understand just right in our, the location of what we call ourselves, that um, there's, there's all of this benefit that has come into us and that we are part of a stream of protecting benefit and goodness and even the dharma in this world it makes me think of our in the in our zen tradition where we talk about all we say all buddha's 10 directions past present and future we that's a teaching for over again to remember that we are part of a stream a continuation of reality we are not here for very long we are stewarding the stream of reality we're stewarding the benefit any benefit and so we offer, um, when we make offerings to that part of ourselves, we are, we, we are attending and accounting for how we uh, are at the receiving a tremendous amount of benefit. And we're also accounting for how we offer that forward into the world. And again, I'd like to come back to those four in another talk. And the last one, which is really similar to the first of this section is, Whatever you meet unexpectedly, join with meditation. The experience of things being unexpected, as I've been thinking about this, and actually I've been thinking about this point for the last several months, uh, a phrase that came into my mind is that whenever we are having the experience of things being unexpected, there is loss in what's happening. We are like suffering the loss of our expectations. And we really have to understand that to meet a loss in a healthful way, um, we have to allow for it. And it takes energy. So the, the patience and the spaciousness that's being asked for here is when we notice, again, really similar to the first one, when we notice that things are unexpected, we, we pause. We feel the grief in it. We feel the disappointment in it. I can, I can kind of testify. I've been really actively practicing with these. And lately, uh, 
in our family when things that certain things have gotten broken. I have a, a somewhere between a five to ten minute span of burning disappointment <laughs> because I because I want to you know walk the talk. And my like yesterday, there's this glass. I love this glass. It's beautiful. <laughs> I've been carefully handling this glass for years. It got broken. And and I could just feel there's like it was burning this disappointment. But I think because I'm having faith that that allowing that fully through is actually a path to liberation, I let it burn. Went on. A, it was embarrassing how long it went on. <laughs> I'm looking over at my partner, Charlie, here, who witnessed this. But it really was like, oh, I really didn't want that to break. <laughs> and, like, let it go. Again, so in a moment like that, our default setting, especially, again, as adults, is to be like, oh, you know, I know that things are impermanent. As adults and as Buddhists, right, we'll whip out our annoying impermanence muscle. Oh, I know things are impermanent. I don't care. How could I care about a glass? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to take anything with me when I die. But I actually did. <laughs> and so, and so to watch that the default, actually in that moment, the default setting was to, to try to swipe it away. You know, the reactivity, actually the, the karma, the karma that creates more karma is for me to, to disavow my pain instead of sitting within it. I can say today, I can look at that glass. I'm, I'm not upset. <laughs> I'm liberated. But that's a very small, that's a very small example. We are collectively in our country, we are watching the shattering of our normative systems, actually. And I think this is probably going to take a couple hundred years. So um, all of us now, if we want to go the path of denial, and we want to walk down that road, it's, it is an available path to us because, because in our lifetimes, this, this, this integration will not be completed. And I would offer it's really uh, not that different than the glass, especially, especially for those of us in any, um, in any modes or statuses of privilege. Actually, we kind of like the way things were and it made at least they made sense to us at least they were known and i would say that um, the path of liberation is not to hold on nor is it to deny that they are disintegrating the path of liberation is to show up for what's happening to each of us and to us collectively as the things that we call normal or dominant culture called normal are dis integrating and falling apart. For us to live in vow, for us to make the conditions where our vows and our intentions, which is our values, really, for those things to show up and guide our activity, we need to make space moment after moment. And to make space, we need to be familiar with the actions of patience. We also need to um, know where we are. And I've been as I've been thinking about this, this really clear image came to me of, a, um, of, of an axis that is not two-dimensional, so it's three-dimensional. <laughs> but there's a lateral 
portion of this axis where any of us are at any given moment and the lateralness of that. And, and in Zen, we talk about horizontal and lateral, lateral. There's a lot of traditional teachings about that. I'm not using those. I'm just, this is just an image in my mind. Where any person is at any given time, there's a lateral component in terms of our practice and in terms of Buddhist understanding of the way we exist together with all things and all beings. So there's this plane that spreads out from each of us in the present of all, of all the functioning of all beings and all things right now. So we hold that. And then on, the, on this, on the vertical or linear kind of sphere or plane, there is uh, what we think of as time, what we think of as past, present, and future. And so, it, so here we are, you know, we're always this point. We're, or we're not a point. We're like a, we're, a, we're an intersection. <laughs> one, of our, one of our teachings, you know, says, affirm this intersection. We are intersections of all of this karma from that all the, the massive movements of karma from the past um, and the present and the future that's opening in front of us. And then we're the intersection of all the stuff that's happening laterally. And we can ground ourselves, we can locate ourselves right here. And it's breathtaking. You know, it's like, it's like looking at the Milky Way and understanding that that is the edge of our galaxy that we're seeing. It just makes you wanna like fall over, you know? And that is the vastness of, our, of what each human being is moment after moment after moment. And our practice asks us to open to that and ground ourselves in the reality, like this is a precious human experience. We are just passing through. So we're stewarding this reality. It matters what we do right now. And it will be uncomfortable. If we're really attending, if we're really bringing our consciousness there, we will feel the inherent suffering of, of our human condition. I'm almost done. But I realized last night I had a dream and I wanted to just share it with you. Uh, in the dream, actually there was a whole bunch of things in my dream about public and private education <laughs> and access. <coughs> and in my dream, I was going into a stadium of the, of the exclusive and I thought to myself, they're going to go, I'm, I should be let in, but, but actually they're supposed to be asking for identification for everybody. And, um, and there were young people there who were like, we're going to ask for identification from everybody. And I was like, yeah, young people, <laughs> don't just go with your biases. So I was really up for like offering my identification. And I was really proud of these young people for uh, not being rooted in Oh, I know you're part of this. And I'm dig so now I'm digging through my purse and I'm looking for my license. But, um, and while I'm doing that, I'm actually, there's so much stuff in my purse <laughs> that I'm making categories of piles on this table. The only one thing I can remember really distinctly were these big earrings, like this big, that were triangle shaped and they were from the eighties. <laughs> so I was pulling out things from to the young person, this is like the epitome of 80s because I knew they didn't know the 80s because they were young. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'm pulling out all this stuff. And then I'm realizing like, you know what? I know my license is gone. It's not in there anymore. I know that. I, I've lost it. And actually I don't even know where to get a new one. And I just offer that. <laughs> this is to me, this is a dream about locating myself right now. Um, I, I don't know, moment after moment, it's become really clear to me. Like, I don't know what the right thing to do is. I don't know how to. Um, Charlie and I were spending a lot of time developing this program to talk about, you know, in a mixed race environment, which, which actually our sangha is too, about race. And it's like, and I don't know how to do that right. And I won't get it right. Actually, all that I know is I will not do that right. I will, I will show up. And I will make space and I will be patient. And that is my vow. But my license is gone, you know? <laughs> and the DMV is gone in my dream. Like those don't even exist anymore. There's nowhere to get a new one. And so we are gonna have to figure out together who we are in this. And I really offer that um, these tools as a way for us to show up together. Thank you very much.